Private Lender Podcast, Episode 24. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Ayn Rand, who said, Money is only a tool. It will take you wherever you wish, but it will not replace you as the driver. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'd like to thank you for sharing your time and your ear with me today. Today's going to be a solo cast. I'm going to talk about my first joint venture deal that I ever did and kind of walk through the mechanics of it and then also tell you all the lessons learned from it. It was a good and bad. I I didn't make or sorry, I didn't lose any money. I made money. So in, in that sense, it's a positive thing. However, I did learn a lot, a lot of things that I should not have done, and they've made me hopefully wiser and smarter for the next go-round, so I'm going to share that with you today. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and thank our sponsors. The Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by the following. The Realty Investment Community of Houston, or Rich Club, is the premier real estate association in Southeast Texas. The Rich Club provides its members with the education, resources, leads, and networking they need to earn more wealth with their real estate investments. The Rich Club has helped thousands of real estate investors realize their full potential, and they are ready to help you. Visit their website at richclub.org for more details. That's richclub.org. 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking with Landon Rothstein and Ray Sasser. Come out and experience one of the fastest growing meetups of real estate investors. Visit privatelenderpodcast.com slash sponsors for more information regarding 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking Meetup. And now, back to the show. All right, I'd like to thank our sponsors, The Rich Club and 713 RIA, for their continued support. And please go to privatelenderpodcast.com slash sponsors for, for more information, just like the commercial said, but I got to get that in there. Anyway, so today's episode 24, going to talk about my first JV deal and sort of how it came about and what happened that was good, what happened that was bad, and what I learned and what I won't do again. So essentially, a guy that I had met, an investor that I had met at, at the Rich Club several years ago, was looking for someone to refinance one of his rental properties. He owned a single family, re- uh, SFR, single family residence, three bedroom, two bath, about 1,500 square feet in Baytown, which is on the east side of Houston. There's a lot of petrochemical uh, ports and, and, and whatnot, uh, a lot of industry over there, and it's usually a pretty good rental neighborhood. This particular borrower or investor was coming up on his five-year anniversary of his mortgage, which he got through a community bank, but it had a five-year balloon, and he needed about $55,000 to pay off his mortgage and was looking to refinance that and, and was hoping to get, borrow about 65000 so he could pull $10,000 of equity out of the house and use it however he saw fit, and which is the beauty about putting leverage and putting debt on your properties that you own is that if he you know can get that $10,000 on that refinance, then that's cash free. 
I mean, cash free. That's tax free money. Ten thousand dollars cash. So he had a problem though that he already had too many mortgages at the time. You could only have four mortgages in your name, four mortgages in your spouse's name, and every bank he went to said no. That he had too many mortgages, they wouldn't loan to him anymore. So he came to me and asked if I would consider refinancing him for five years at 5% and taking some cash out. Well, in that that initial conversation, I told him that I I only wanted to loan for about 12 months. I was still new in the game, very, very new in the game of private lending and preferred shorter term loans. That way I could see the mechanics and go through the process uh, in a shorter and more do more in a shorter amount of time, more loans and learn what I thought hopefully would be quicker. So I was only looking to do about a a 12-month loan at the most. Uh, And his interest rate was too low. And the higher interest rate that I was wanting, uh, and I I started off with the, you know, long-term, I would think about 9%, 10%. However, when he did the math and I did the math, that would eat up his, a higher interest rate would completely eat up his uh, his cash flow that he came that was coming in after he paid his principal and interest taxes and insurance on that property. So it really didn't make sense for him to refinance with me at, at the rates that I, I wanted to, or the, the rates that I, I wanted to get. The, the good news on this one, though, was there was a really good tenant already in the house. It was a, an older couple. She was a nurse, and he uh, was retired, forced unfortunately into retirement by a, a stroke. But was still, you know, getting around, and they were putting the finishing touches on their retirement home, and they um, just seemed like a really nice couple. When I went over and, and met them and, and looked at the house, I initially declined to to finance this. I said it, it didn't meet my criteria on paper. It was too long of a loan, too low of an interest rate, and I wished him luck. And he went off to try to find other private lenders, but he was running out of time. So he came back to me and suggested that, why don't I just buy the house myself or I could do it rather than loaning the money out of my IRA, I could I could buy it with my IRA and hold it as an asset in my IRA, which I did not want to do at that time. Uh, I, I have an opinion of what property should be held inside of an IRA and my criteria, what I was looking for and my needs at that time didn't allow for that, or at least I was advised that I shouldn't hold thin margin properties in, in an IRA because any costs that were incurred would have to be, the checks would have to be written out of my IRA. I couldn't write a check myself to cover, let's say, an air conditioning repair or a replacement and then go back and get the money out of my IRA. That's against IRS rules. So I did not want to hold the house as an asset inside of my self-directed IRA at that time. And then I wasn't also, uh, it's not what I wanted to do. I told him that's not what I wanted to do exactly. I, you know, I didn't want to do that. And I wasn't really comfortable with his asking price. His, his numbers, he wanted about 75000 to sell outright. And his ARV was about ninety to 95000 which some of the comps in the area supported that. Some did not. Um, but I really wasn't keen on, on doing that, taking that option. So he suggested an option, a second option that we do a joint venture on the deal in which he would sell his house to my LLC at a significantly reduced price. He would retain a percentage of the deal, but I, meaning he would have an ownership percentage in the property, or in this case, the LLC, 
and that I was to keep all the cash flow that came from the property. So it seemed like a pretty good deal at the time. And I thought it over, spoke to the wife, the boss, and said, yeah, I'm nervous, but I'm going to go ahead and, and do this. So I agreed in principle in the handshake that we'd figure out a way to get this done. So I actually went to the same bank where he had his mortgage, a community bank on the south side of Houston. And I, I got uh, my LLC got a, a loan, a mortgage. It's very similar to his five years balloon. But I had to put a personal guarantee on it. So that goes against my mortgage count. It was a recourse loan. So if I defaulted on it, it my, my, my personal credit would suffer for it. I don't regret doing that. Some people say that's bad at move. It, it kind of worked out for me. So didn't mind the personal guarantee. But I did have to come up with 20% down, which kind of hurt. And to come up with about $14,000 to put down as a down payment and to cover my share of the closing costs. And we closed in early September and my partner retained 40% interest, ownership interest in that property. But I was to get the rent checks and take all the cash flow from it. And for the first three months, things were easy. This was a phenomenal tenant in place. I remember she called me on October 23rd and apologized for not having put the rent payment in the mail. It arrived on the 26th, due on the 1st. And everything was going along smooth. And then in December, per the, the lease contract, I got my I got the December rent and I got a notice to vacate or intent to move out at the end of December. And they were going to move into their retirement home in the hill country of, of Texas. And I wish them luck and regretted that they were, told them I regretted that they were leaving, but they were they were great and uh, wish them well. And that's when things became, kind of became interesting for me in that I realized that in getting this deal done, I was so enamored by the creativity of this deal and listening to people say, well, you can't do that or this can't be done, et cetera, et cetera. And then lo and behold, not only is it can be done, but it's also legal. And, but one of the things or a few things that I realized very quickly was that we had not decided We'd maybe discuss, but we never officially formalized the responsibilities of each of us, our, you know, the, of the partners. So once that tenant moved out, they got their security deposit back, and the house is now vacant, and then I need to put it up for rent. But my partner and I didn't know who did what, who was going to manage the property, or how it was going to be managed, who was going to handle the repair requests or contact the tenant, so on and so forth. So none of this was written down and none of the, we, we hadn't outlined it. So this got very interesting because uh, we had some management problems with the third-party management company we re, uh, I decided to use and, you know, buyer beware. I wasn't, uh, I was very active. I was more active in this deal than I had anticipated. I guess it's just more my nature to try to jump in and, and and run things or to to fix something if they need to be fixed, but without a clear path on who does what, who does what, it was it was kind of pandemonium, and there were some duplicated efforts, um, which uh, caused some some frustration. Uh, now, in the end, everything worked out. We I ended up selling the house. I made a little bit of profit, not much, but I made some money, and the, my original partner. 
was able to maintain some possession or sorry, ownership percentage as well, because he and two other investor friends created an entity and they purchased the house from me after about 26 months of, of me owning and controlling 60% of the, of the house. So all in all it, you know, no harm, no foul, all's well that ends well. But, and hopefully as you're going through this story, you're, some things, some red flags are coming up and I'm like trying, I'm trying not to get into the weeds too much, but the lessons that I earned and what you should probably take away from this story are the following. I invested in something I truly didn't understand. I didn't run the numbers enough and stress the stress test, so to speak, you know, run through scenarios. What happens if someone doesn't pay or et cetera, et cetera, if it takes five months to, to get the house rented again after a storm or say somebody damages or, you know, what have you. And I, I didn't run the numbers up front with the percentages as well. They seemed like valid arguments that my partner was making. And I, I agreed. And in retrospect, I, I gave up a lot and not that I was taken advantage of, but I agreed very quickly. I didn't negotiate my position. And when you consider that I had all the leverage in the world, I was the guy with the money. He was the guy with a mortgage with a balloon note come and do. And I could have negotiated that down, not to take advantage of him and not to make it a bad deal for him. But in, in retrospect, I, I should have negotiated at least a little bit to bring his 40% down or keep it at 40%, but definitely, definitely negotiated who does what because this became a v- more active an investment than I, I really cared to. That's what I, like, I like loaning money. I like notes. I like mortgages. It's very simple. There's, there's some work up front, but after they're done, one day a month, I go check to make sure the money's coming in. If so, great, move on. If not, well, there's a, a letter that I kick out. It's, it's quite simple. It is a nice little system that I have to, to take care of all these things. But dealing with property managers, you have to manage the manager. That was one thing that I, I learned uh, very quickly and, and the hard way, um, for sure. I, I failed to follow up and make sure that the security deposit was was transferred over to me because that when that uh, couple moved out, that was a thousand dollars that I had to come up with. That had I followed up and done my due diligence, I would have had it from my partner, the original owner, but I didn't do that, and we didn't f- discuss really or formalize how we wanted to manage the property. And because I live fifty miles away from this particular property, I, I got a third party management firm involved to handle all of these things. And there'll be another episode on what you need to do and what you need to ask when, when hiring a third party property management company. But let's just say that's another lesson for another time, but nothing was formalized. Nothing was written down and it caused confusion, frustration, duplication of efforts. When all, if, if my partner and I had sat down for just an hour at uh, an, over a cup of coffee at a diner somewhere and just hashed out, you do this, I do that. A lot of these, these frustrations could have been um, headed off at the past. They wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have been an issue. So I can't stress enough how important it is to get duties, responsibilities, and obligations written down and agreed upon beforehand. JVs can work well. Partnerships can work well. You know, only, only half of the marriages today end in divorce. So that means the other half are at least working well enough to avoid divorce, right? Is that how I want to look at that statistic? Anyway, I think you get what uh, the point that I am trying to make here. 
So in the end, let's look at some numbers here. Um, real simple, high-level stuff, nothing too involved. But in 26 months, I made about 8.5% on my money in total. So it's really only about 4% a year. I did get rule number one nailed down, return of investment. That did come back. I got my original 14 cash back and paid uh, the, the lien off, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, I, I moved on to, to other things and other deals. So the beauty of it was, though, even though I, I made so little, I learned a tremendous amount. And the best part about it was it was an education by taking action. I didn't read about it or look at someone else's case study, although those are very helpful. My learning process involved me being right in the middle of it and feeling all of the emotions, the, you know, the elation of the closing table and knowing that I just bought a, an income producing property, or at least 60% of it. And I thought I had a good deal when I really needed to check my numbers to see just how good that deal was. So I went you know, had a hell of a roller coaster ride. I don't regret one bit of it at all. It, you know, some days were worse than others. I'm not going to lie because I was in new territory. I had gotten outside of my comfort zone and did this joint venture. And I'm, and I'm glad I did. I, I made money. I didn't lose money. Got this great education and I've learned a couple of things. Uh, I call them my crash courses. And here's just a, a little list. It's not exclusive or exhaustive. I, I mean, not exhaustive, but it, it's a pretty good list of what I learned, and these are the crash courses. Crash courses. They were, where there is a will, there is indeed a way. I learned about the power of having a, a network, how to be creative when putting together a deal. Uh, a lot of deals are not found. They are created. Potential deals are found, but the deal itself, is they're often put together, and, and they're created by one or more people. I learned how not to joint venture when you don't ask questions or get a second opinion until it's too late. That was a that was a good one there. And how one should always let someone else look over the deal if, if you're not sure, whether you're an investor or a lender or both, just get another set of eyes. A, a second opinion, never going to hurt. Maybe a fresh perspective on how you could do something differently, tweak the documents or tweak this or tweak that or offer something else that may not be so obvious to to make the deal even sweeter for everybody. I learned that property managers need to be managed closely. Some are better than others. They all go out there with good intentions, I have no doubt. But people are people, and property management companies are staffed by people. So, And tenants are people, some of them. And so you need to, you need to keep an eye on that. And uh, it was a little bit more involvement than I, I, was, I was wanting. It didn't sour me. It, it did kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth a little bit because I thought this was going to be very easy and passive. But... At the end of the day, I'm glad that uh, I had to do all this and, and you know skin my knees up a little bit and get some scabs to move on. And another thing I found out, whether you're a lender or an investor or a property manager or whatever, tenant screening is absolutely vital to getting a good tenant and preserving and hopefully increasing your return on investment. Well, that's going to do it. I hope this high-level view of my first joint venture has been educational for you. Hopefully you learned something from it and hopefully you can take some of the lessons that I learned the hard way and you can bridge your learning curve and bridge your gaps and don't make the mistakes that I did. I've always liked Allen Ginsberg's quote when he said, don't follow my path to extinction. <laughs> well, hopefully you're not following my path to extin extinction, but I do hope that um, you know my stories here can can help you make better and, and form decisions and hopefully that makes your lending and your investing 
that much more enjoyable and that much safer. So that's going to do it for today on episode 24. I want to thank you again for listening. And remember, I'll be at the Quest IRA, Self-Directed IRA Expo in Dallas, August 25th and 26th. Come on out, come on out and say hi. I will be participating in a panel discussion as well, and I'll be recording various interviews and clips for future episodes of this podcast. So please come on out. You can go to the website and look at sponsors. There's there's uh, coupon codes for you to use to get your ticket. Just use the code Baker Expo for 25% off your ticket. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I'm going to see you on the next episode, and I wish everyone out there who's listening happy, healthy, and wise investing and lending. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time. Pay that man his money.